Thank you so much, Trio, for that beautiful, beautiful song. I'm, may that be our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we thank you that we have just heard a prayer through that song. And our prayer, may it be right now, that we ask you to fill our cup as we open your word. Fill us with knowledge and understanding, Father, of thy living word, that we may put it into practice and it might become uh, part of our daily behavior and life, that our minds might continue to be fixed upon thee. Thank you for what you will teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles with me now, let us turn to... 1 John, the letter to the churches. 1 John, and we've arrived. It's been a while since we've been here, but we are now in chapter 5. So we've arrived at chapter 5. We're coming down the home stretch, so to speak, in John's letter here. And as we come to chapter 5 here, uh, the, the first, we're going to look at the first five verses this morning. And in verses 1, 2, and 3, John basically is giving a final word concerning loving one another as the body of Christ. And then in verse 4 and 5, John then turns his focus on the powerful truth concerning spiritual warfare. And that is extremely practical, which we will see. So if you will look with me now at verse 1. John writes, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Now, if you have a King James Version, let me read that translation to you. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Did you get that? Now that translation, it can be hard once you first read it. You say, okay, John, what are you saying? <laughs> but basically what John is saying is whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, God that came in the flesh, Whoever believes on him and believes in him is born of God. The other phrase we can use is, and has been used many times, is born again. Born again. You ever hear on TV or you hear someone talk about, oh, those born again, you're one of those born again Christians. People set us apart. If you use the word born again, you go, oh, you're one of those. But that's exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus, right, in the book of John, the gospel, chapter 3. He said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the new birth, of course, takes place the moment I believe. The moment I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, it is then that I am baptized once and for all, once by the Holy Spirit who comes into me, the Spirit of Christ comes in and dwells within me permanently. And so then at that moment, 
I have been regenerated. I have been redeemed. I have been born spiritually into God's family. So John is trying to get across again to the churches here that anyone, first of all, who believes in Jesus, they are a child of God. John himself wanted to make clear to his readers that that's where it starts. John's basically saying, what I'm going to tell you is is only important for you if you are a true believer. But what he is about to share, if you and I are not true believers reading this, uh, then it doesn't apply to us. But it does tell us that everyone must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And then he goes on, verse 1 there. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. So now here John is basically saying, okay, well, if you're truly born again, if you're truly born again, and you say that you love the father, you love your heavenly father who saved you, then you know you are born again by the way you love the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's He's basically coming straight out and saying that uh, to us here today. He's saying, I can go around and I can say, I love God. You know, I just, I just love him and I'm, I'm going to serve him. And I might be in service some kind of ministry for the Lord, doing something in his name and feeling, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my duty. I'm trying to obey and please the Lord here. But yet, if I don't love brother or sister in Christ, then I have to be concerned. If, if I have no love for the family of God, that's a red flag. That's what John is saying. And so he's saying that basically, if you love God, if I truly love God, and I, I am born of him, I'm a child of God, and, I'm, and I, if I say I love him, I'm going to love the other children, the other children in the family. How about your, think of your own family. When, you know, you, you came into your family, you grew up with brothers and sisters, did you kids get along with your mom, uh, your brothers and sisters all the time? How many? Yeah, never. Uh, I I see uh, Alexis and um, Ava smiling, looking at each other like, uh, yeah, right. We got along, didn't we, all the time? Yeah, I can ask Lori and Anna. Uh, did you get along all the time? Come to our house. Anybody just want to want to watch the show? Um, no, they, they, they do love each other, but you know, brothers and sisters, what happens? We have disagreements. We have arguments. We, we, we have, we have conflict in the home, right? With brothers and sisters. But what is the bottom line at the end of the day? 
I love them. You love your brother, you love your sister, no matter what, right? How beautiful. Um, we've seen uh, some who were abused in their families by a mother or a father, and yet they go out of their way to care for that mother or father, maybe who abandoned them when they were a baby. And yet, the love of a child for his parent never seems to go away. And so they will do whatever they can to, to help to take care of that parent who may be in need. Here, it's, it's pretty clear we use our earthly picture of family. So it is in God's family. I must love the family of God. Now look at verse 2. John then concludes here about loving one another. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Observe or keep his commandments. In verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Or grievous. John now, when he, he continues to speak about the love of God, he said, here's the love of God. If you want to know if you have the love of God in your life, you're going to want to try and desire to keep his commandments, which means keep his word. My desire should be, if I'm born of God, belong to him, I'm a child of the king, I should be desiring to obey the Lord Jesus and his commandments given to me in his word. And by obeying that, his word, and, and, I, and I have that compelling um, spirit within me to obey, that tells me that I truly love God and I have the love of God in me. That should encourage you, my friends, encourage you. And so many uh, of you have demonstrated your faith and your love for God by the way you've kept God's word. And what does that, that, that send out? A signal that you are born again. You are truly a, a child of the king. You've been born and saved and you belong to him. But just, so John is basically saying here, he's saying, you, if you're going to say you love God, keep his commandments. And then verse 3, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And here's something wonderful. His commandments are not burdensome. His, his commandments are not burdensome. The word burdensome here, or grievous, in the Greek, basically has the meaning and idea of something heavy or oppressive. The problem with the Jews in Jesus' day was that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and uh, the high priests, and the scribes, what they would do, they would add, of course, the law of Moses was a burden to many Jews. Why? Because they couldn't keep it. 
The law was to show man and the Jew that you can't keep my law, God, uh, the law of God. It's impossible. Oh, you will strive to, and God wants you to strive back in the Old Testament. But it's impossible. But the Jews uh, would feel a burden placed on them by the, the religious leaders because they would add man-made uh, things, you know, uh, legalistic uh, list of things that they would add to the law of Moses and say, well, God said this is what you need to do too. So it was do this, do that, do this, don't do that, don't do that. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23 with me. Let's go to Matthew 23. And look what Jesus says here. Matthew 23, verse 1. <clears throat> Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries. And lengthen the tassels of their garments. And he goes on and on. But do you see, Jesus is saying, these religious leaders, all they're concerned about is throwing a burden on you, but they want the easy life. But John is saying, if we as believers seek to obey God's word and the commandments of Christ, they won't be burdensome. Because we are not under the law, but we're under grace. And so he, John wanted to make that clear. And then uh, we read in Matthew chapter 11. Turn there, since we're in Matthew. Just flip over to Matthew chapter 11. Speaking of not being burdensome, the commandments of the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And believe me, the Jews were saying, I, I don't think I can keep up under this law. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And then he says, for my yoke is is easy and my load is light see this is what john is referring to as in christ seeking to follow and obey the lord jesus christ should not be burdensome to us but let's go back now just so we understand that keeping his commandments are not burdensome and if we come back to chapter 5 of first john I want us to focus here the rest of our time on verses 4 and 5. Let's read together. Verse 4. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What word jumps out at you there as you read that? What is the word that he repeats? Overcomes. Yes. Notice now he's focusing on overcomes, the one who overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. The Greek word for our English word here, overcome or overcomes, is the Greek word nikeo. Nikeo. N-I-K-A-O. Does that sound familiar to any of you? How many wear Nike sneakers? Any of you guys? Yeah, all right. Way to go, Everett. It's a good brand. Good brand. The, the Nike name is the Greek word. That's where we get, they got Nike from, from this Greek word, which means overcomer, but in the Greek... It, it literally means to win a victory over or to, to be a victor, to be a conqueror is another good word for overcomer. Be a conqueror. So if you wear Nike sneakers, you're going to win everything. That's what they want you to think. You're getting the best shoes. It'll help you to win. It was used by the Greeks to refer to a military or legal victory in court. But that's what the word is. So John is basically saying here, he's saying the one, right? Whatever is born of God, or you could say whoever is born of God, overcomes the world. And when he uses this word overcomes, he's saying has already overcome. He, he has overcome and therefore he will overcome. It encompasses the past and the present when he talks about this. And so he's talking about every believer, everyone who truly is a, a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and has been born again, is an overcomer. You are an overcomer today. An overcomer an individual who can have and has been promised and given the ability to have victory in your life. And I can have victory over sin in my life today. And I can have victory over anything that comes into my way and that comes into my path that threatens me spiritually. And it could be the world, the flesh, and the devil. Notice what he says here. He says, whatever is born of God overcomes what? The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That word world there, okay, we just have the one English word, world. So if I say world to you, what do you think of? Well, I'm standing on it. The, the, the earth, the world. But in Greek, the the word is cosmos, cosmos, and that had different meanings, and it's used for different meanings in the New Testament, even though we use the same word world, 
But yet you will find different passages that, well, if you put in just, you think of the earthly world we're standing on and that rotates, you know, and, and uh, you know, this physical world, it doesn't fit some of the scriptures. There are th- three different basic meanings to this word in the Greek. First, of course, it's the created universe, the physical world. Secondly, though, this wor- word is used in the New Testament to speak of the people of the world, you and me, human beings, humanity. And that's where we read in John 3.16, for God so loved what? The world. Does that mean the dirt? Does that mean the trees? No, of course not. It means people. And so that was another use for the word cosmos. It meant the people who are on planet Earth. But then there's the third meaning that John is really concerned about. And that is cosmos that would describe the world's system or the way things are done and the values of this world. It's a system, a a sinful system that Satan is operating with in this world. And it comes from the wicked heart of man. And so basically it is Satan who is called the ruler of this world in John 12. Jesus said he's the ruler of this world, prince of this world. It's, it, it's, a, it's a system that you and I easily have fallen into the trap of allowing us to, to take on the way the world thinks and believes, the way they act. And sadly, when that happens, I become more like the world and less like Jesus. And John is concerned about this. So when he says, the one who is born of God overcomes the world, and the victory has come, the, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And he's talking about our saving faith. The moment I was saved, I became an overcomer. The moment you were saved, you became an overcoming, uh, overcomer when the Holy Spirit dwelt within you and now lives in you. And you have the Holy Spirit in you to strengthen you and to, to give you the power to overcome sin and the temptations of the world and this world system. How many of you f- feel that when you turn on the TV, you, get, uh, um, you feel like you're being influenced? You ever feel that way? Like, like the, the, the commercials and everything else, they're trying to influence you and say, uh, hey, try this. You're going to love this. Or... or how about this over here, you know? And, and it looks good. Satan will always, remember, Satan's temptations when he uses the world and anything else, they're going to be things that will appeal to us, appeal to the flesh. And so easy, if I'm not careful, I can fall into it and say, uh, I, wow, I think I'll partake of that. Just like Eve saw the apple and said, mm, that looks good. You know, and, and the serpent's telling me, hey, it's, it's going to be okay to eat from it. And then we partake of it. 
And that's what John is concerned about. But John is saying, believer, you might be, uh, be struggling with sin. You might be struggling with what the world is trying to conform you to be. Yet you are an overcomer because you have Christ living within you. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Go to 1 Samuel 17 with me. And we'll pick it up at verse 31. Now, of course, this is the story of David and Goliath. Okay. How many of you recently went to see David at Sight and Sound? Wasn't it great? I saw it, we saw it earlier in the year and just one of the most powerful presentations. Um, so moving. And, uh, and, and so here we have. Uh, so those who saw it, you know, this will uh, bring back the memories. But you recall, David shows up on the scene. He hears, and isn't it interesting, as soon as he shows up, that's when Goliath shows up. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, there are no coincidences in, in our lives. Remember that. This was, this was all set up and planned by God, that this boy, teenager, would show up just as this giant warrior is coming out and saying, who will come and fight me? And he's defying the God of Israel. And of course, David says, isn't anybody going to go fight him? You know, and, and, and so word got around that David is willing to go fight this guy. So let's pick it up here at verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with, the with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him? For you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. He's saying, You're crazy, David. Look at David's response, and this is what I want you to take home with you today. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And here it is in verse 37. David said, I will deliver myself. I delivered myself. No. Does he say that? No, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. Here's a young man. What does he say? He says, let me tell you about my past, the, 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 the uh, problems I had to face in my life. 
You know, I was uh, just a shepherd, but I had to protect the sheep. So a bear came along, a lion came, a bear, a uh, lion came along, and, and I killed them both. I killed them both. How did I kill them? He says, by the Lord's help. The Lord delivered me. David knew that any strength and ability he had was given to him by God, that the Lord was with him. David believed that he was an overcomer. And this is, and therefore, because of the way he went at and de defended the sheep against the lion and the bear, he saw Goliath as nothing different. Just someone who is taunting the Lord God. And he says, I can do to him what I did to the lion and the bear because the Lord will deliver me. The Lord will do it. And I must understand today, dear Christian, that I am an overcomer in Jesus Christ, that anything that comes your way, whether it be a sickness, whether it be uh, the, uh, uh, the pain of, of a broken relationship, it may be uh, emotional sufferings, it may be temptation, whatever it is that's coming your way, and it's a giant like Goliath in your life. And suddenly you're thinking, I can't fight this battle. I, I don't think I can win because you found yourself losing. And as you look at, at what you're facing, you get scared. But dear friend, take what John is saying to heart. That you are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. That anything that comes into your life... Jesus has already won the victory. I am an overcomer because Jesus became my overcomer on the cross. He gave his life. He shed his blood. He died, buried, rose again from the dead. And by rising from the dead, he became that overcomer. That overcomer. And that's what John is saying. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Romans 8, 37, Paul wrote, For in, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer or are overcomers through him who loved us. Through Christ, I can do what? All things. All things. So if I think, well, that's the way I've always been, been controlled by, by my past, by, by, you know, the that my habits of the past can't be broken. They can. They can because the Lord Jesus Christ will empower you to do it and overcome the Goliath in your life, whatever that Goliath is. Jesus, Jesus said concerning uh, being an overcomer, be of good cheer, you will, he said to his disciples. Now you will have tri trials and tribulation and trouble in this world. But be of good cheer, for I have what? Overcome the world. He's overcome it. Therefore, the overcomer, the eternal son of God, lives in here. Lives in you. So when you leave here, 
today and you go out to face whatever problems and situations that are facing you, and you might get scared and you say, I, I feel the oppression of the enemy, Satan, because he'll come at, at us in many different ways and he'll attack our minds. I know that I can have victory. I have, the victory is possible because I'm an overcomer. But you know there's a key in closing here. There's a key and it's found in Romans chapter 12. And turn there with me. Romans 12. So we all have the power. Okay. We all have the power over any Goliath or giant that comes our way. And it's our faith, saving faith that has made us an overcomer. But Romans 8, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Here it is. Why is it that some, sometimes uh, you'll, you'll find yourself winning, but sometimes I'm not winning the battles? I'm saying, where's that power that John's talking about as an overcomer? Paul puts it in verse 1. Chapter 12, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. There's that word world, the system of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. Paul is basically saying, you have the power. I have the power, but what do I have to do? I have to make sure that I'm presenting this fleshly, sinful body that still has the old nature. I have to present this to him as it were on an altar. Paul saying, present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. For only when I do that, will I then, I, then I'm saying, this vessel belongs to you, Lord. My body today belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. This, what does the, uh, the, the scripture say this body is of the believer? It's a temple, temple of the Holy Spirit. But I have to surrender it to my Lord every day and say, okay, Lord, I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. And therefore, I'm seeking to live for you. But the only way Christ can live through me and empower me to face the giants is if I am ready to surrender. To surrender this body and lay down my will to do what I want to do. And, but saying, Lord, I want to do what you want to do. Satan will come at you all many different kinds of ways and scare you. When we were at the, at the shore walking on the boardwalk, there was, uh, there was a guy there who had a bird on his shoulder. But he had, a, had a, a, a sleeve and everything connected to it. And we're looking at that and going, what, what, what is he carrying a, that bird on the boardwalk around for? And he's, he ends up along the beach next to the boardwalk. Suddenly, the bird flies off his shoulder and starts flying around the boardwalk. And all of a sudden, what we saw is no seagulls. Suddenly, the seagulls were gone. They were there for a while. Now they're gone. 
As soon as that bird took off his shoulder, the seagulls are gone. Then we found out that bird was a falcon. That man uh, trained that bird. It's called falconry. And he was, so he trained that bird so that that bird would fly in the air. He trained it not to attack the seagulls, but to scare them. And he flew up and suddenly, whew, boardwalk. You didn't have to worry about your head anymore. You know, it was fantastic. You know, clear skies. <laughs> yeah, but I, it was amazing. And then... I saw this uh, falcon fly to the top of a building on the boardwalk, and it sat there. And it, no strings attached, and I'm going, well, that, that bird is uh, not coming back. What's he going to do? And he's standing, you know, uh, many hundreds of feet away on the beach, the guy. But all of a sudden, he blows a whistle, <laughs> certain whistle. I can't do it like Carrie Mae does <laughs> But that whistle, he blows a whistle, a certain, certain quick whistle, like one or two, and suddenly the bird leaves its perch, flies down, swoops down, and comes back and lands on the guy's shoulder. He has had control of him. You see, Satan goes around like a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you, devour me. But just as he did want to do that with Peter, what did Jesus say? Jesus told Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Peter. But I have prayed for you. That your faith, what? Would not fail. And I'm praying for each and every one of you this morning, dear Christian. That your faith wouldn't fail. But even more important, Jesus is praying for you. That your faith won't fail. And when the falcon, uh, falcons come into your life to scare you, and you think, I can't go on. I can't get through this. Jesus says, oh, yes, you can. Because I live within you. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul learned what it meant to surrender his body and allow Christ to live through him and be an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Now you can go live it with the help of the Lord. Don't be afraid, dear Christian. Let's pray together. As we close in prayer, dear Christian, perhaps you came here this morning with many fears on your heart, carrying a burden, a fear of something, whatever it is. Would you like David Say, I know the Lord, you delivered me in the past in my life. I can look back and see the times you delivered me and brought me through and gave me victory over the enemy. Father, I believe now that you can and will give me victory today and tomorrow. 
Father, as I surrender myself, my body to you now. Would you do that, Christian? Surrender your body afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ and his will. And see what will happen as you, as an overcomer, will be able to rise up and with the help of God, you will slay the giant in your life, which means you will walk by faith and not by fear. Make that decision now, Christian, would you? You'll see what a difference it will make in your life. If you're here this morning without Christ, I invite you to accept the Savior and know him and know for sure that you are born again. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, but you'd like to do so now, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Pray a prayer like this, but you have to mean it with all your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ at that moment, you have been born again. Welcome to the family of God. You are now an overcomer in Christ. Heavenly Father, take these decisions, Father. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified in them as we surrender ourselves, our bodies, completely to you and to your perfect will for our lives. And empower us then with your strength that in our weakness we, may, we will be made strong and can overcome the enemy. Thank you, Father, for the victory that's already been won. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.